You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster, Ed Bachet, and Mark Caboli. Hey everybody, welcome into the Immaculate Podcast. This is our Steelers pod here at The Athletic. I'm Tim McMaster along with Ed Bouchette and Mark Caboli, our Steelers reporters. Please subscribe to the show, give us a rating and review, and if you want to save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash Podcast. You can save 40% off. This is our draft recap episode. We're going to grade the Steelers' picks. They didn't have a lot compared to some other teams because for the first time in 53 years, the Steelers without a first-round draft pick. Of course, this draft a little bit different, guys, than we've had in recent years where the NFL has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. This thing was supposed to be in Las Vegas with boats and water and all that stuff. Instead, it was a bunch of Zoom calls and conference calls and all of that. So um, just describe the experience. I'll start with you, Ed. Describe the experience of covering the NFL draft from your living room. My favorite draft of all time, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seeing some of those guys at home, uh, Belichick and uh, Vrabel. Oh, my God. I don't know what was going on at Mike Vrabel's house. Um, and uh, it, it just seemed to be um, more efficient than than other drafts. Uh, you got the information. Uh, there was no, uh, you know, we were down at the... Uh, when we get on the Steelers, we're all in a big room. There's a lot of noise and everything else. And uh, I don't know. I, I kind of liked it this time. Uh, you had Jerry's yacht in this one. You had uh, Goodell's basement, which a lot of people are saying they were a little disappointed for a guy that makes as much money as Roger Goodell, that, that he had, didn't have a little bit nicer uh, war room down there, uh, game room downstairs with the TV. But overall, Mike Tomlin's dog also making a few appearances. Mark, what did you think? Yeah, I think it was different. I think that's what made it interesting because, like Ed said, we don't really normally see in the Bill Belichick's house and some of these other guys' house and some of even the players. My my personal favorite was Joe Burrows. I mean, his house looks like something I grew up in North Bell Vernon here in Western PA <laughs> with like the the cover over the over the uh, reclining chair because there's so many snags in it or something like that. I thought that was absolutely <laughs> wonderful, but <laughs> I just wonder if. That was just a novelty of it if it would just get old if we see this year after year after year. That's the only thing I would say. I, I would like to see maybe portions of this be brought into future drafts, but I don't know about the entire thing. I know one thing I do want to get rid of is the goofy fan cam behind Goodell where he's talking to a screen that was obviously pre-recorded like two days beforehand. That was kind of <laughs> creepy, but like I said, I think uh, I think as for our part, sitting here, it wasn't much different because it's not like we're going to get much access anyways other than maybe the next day where they would bring in a, somebody like uh, their first-round pick or their second-round pick to talk to us. But it, So it really, really didn't differ much for us covering it wise. Well, you guys were able to sit back and just enjoy night one as the Steelers uh, had that one off. But they finally did get to make a pick. uh, Day two, round two, the 49th overall pick, and it was a wide receiver. They go with Chase Claypool, wide receiver out of Notre Dame. Uh, He's a big guy, 6'4", 238 pounds. There were other receivers still available in a very uh, receiver-loaded draft. Uh, Mark, why did they go with Claypool as opposed to Denzel Mims was out there who ended up going to the Jets about 10 picks later and, and some other guys? What was it about Claypool that stood out to you? I would or probably to the Steelers, I guess. I say speed. Uh, that four four two, 
you know, what is he, 6'4", like you said. I mean, Steelers don't really have that type of speed. If that speed really does translate onto the field where you can just throw him, you know, the ball down the middle of the field and tell him to go get it. So uh, I think that's what probably separated him the most from uh, anybody else. But I think the the big decision would have been Claypool or Dobbins at that point, two different positions, and and they passed on the running back. And I just wonder now, thinking out loud, um, what if a different running back was available at that point? Say Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, a guy who they could have made a match with Connor and Snell a little bit uh, you know, better than, say, a power guy like Dobbins. What position do, do they go then if Edwards Hilaire is out there and he can provide that complimentary piece? Maybe they do go running back at that point, but with only Dobbins left on and only Mims, I think they were enamored by that 4-4-2 speed out of a 6-4 guy, and they could figure the worst comes to worst. We let him play the role of Johnny Holton this year, run the ball, run the ball, run deep, and let's see if we can throw you the ball. So I think that's one of the reasons why they picked him. And it sounded like um, Ben Roethlisberger was fine with this pick, obviously adding a new weapon for him. What did you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I thought they would take Dobbins. I still believe that uh, that they're going to need a, an every-down runner um, because, I, you know, James Conner just um, – he hasn't been able to complete a season here. And uh, I, I don't know that he's going to be able to – all of a sudden switch it on for 16 games. Now, they do have a lot of different guys there. Um, maybe they do a running back by committee more. So now try and work, uh, you know, we're going to get to him. The, the rookie they drafted, McFarland, work in Benny Snell, work in Jalen Samuels. I, I, although I think that uh, Kareth White now may be the guy on the way out with this draft pick. So our uh, college writers here at The Athletic weighed in with a lot of these picks and, and gave us some, according to their thoughts on these players. And Pete Sampson covers Notre Dame for us. This is what he had to say about Chase Claypool, what he's going to bring to the Steelers. Chase Claypool, one of the most interesting draft prospects to come out of Notre Dame in the last few years. Interesting mix of size, speed, power, explosive ability, Tested so well at the NFL Combine in the 4-4 range, but didn't necessarily play that way while he was at Notre Dame. He was a physical receiver, but not a burner. Uh, but really a difficult matchup for corners and safeties. Was Notre Dame's team MVP. And really matured over the course of not just this season, but his four-year career here. Came in, not quite sure what Notre Dame was going to get. Not quite sure where his position would be. Uh, some maturity issues, but really sort of worked his way through that. Grew up while he was sort of going through the process at Notre Dame and the output here, um, you know, he was sort of seen as a potential first round pick. Um, I think he's got incredible value as a special teams player as well. Somebody who will probably be on all four units at the next level. So if he's a someone's number two receiver and on every special teams unit, that pretty much equates to a 10 year career uh, off the bat, as long as you can sort of stay in your playbook. I think that Chase Claypool is is a really high upside player. Um, you know, maturity issues that you know maybe he worked through early seem to be a thing of the past, uh, and really developed into sort of a, a captain without being a captain uh, at Notre Dame during his senior year. So Chase Claypool, there is a lot to like with this guy. Um, does not have the burner, play fast speed of maybe some other elite prospects, but. There simply are not a lot of NFL receivers built like Chase Claypool, uh, and he should 
round out any receiving group that he is now a part of. So Mark, the grade you gave this pick was a B minus. What, what player would have gotten an A from you? Was there a player out there that if they had gone with, you would have said, all right, that that's the guy that's an A. Probably not at that point. I mean, okay. most of them were gone knowing that the, that, that was the first three picks might've been um, receivers of that second round where they went Higgins, where they went, uh, Pittman, and I believe somebody else came off the ball, while Hamler came off the board too, which was kind of surprising. So I think for what was left on the board, that was probably the best pick they could have made. But the problem is, is when you're picking at 49 and that's your first pick, you sort of have higher expectations out of a guy. I mean, we look, I know I look at Chase Claypool and just automatically I think he's a first-round pick because he's our first pick. We have to put in perspective, he was 49th overall, you know. So he is probably slotted exactly where he was supposed to slot, and he was probably the best guy left on the board for them. Yeah, and a guy that adds to that depth. Ed, uh, Mark put the official grades in his story on The Athletic, gave him a B-, minus. but I'm going to take – I'm just going to let you agree or disagree with Mark's grades as we work our way through these picks. Do you agree or disagree with the B-? minus? You know what, Tim? I've never uh, – I can recollect never – putting a grade on uh, a draft because it, it to me and I know Mark had to do it you know I'm not criticizing Mark but the, the teams that if you look at the grades the national guys give um, it's the teams that are draft drafting higher you know the first first 10 picks in the draft dude Cleveland always gets high grades in the draft because they're always grading drafting higher like Mark just said he said uh you know, it was, he was probably the best one that they could take at that point. Then they should get an A, right, instead of a B minus. Um, that's that's my thinking. Is uh, you know they didn't have a first round pick, so their overall draft isn't going to look very good. Um, their draft in uh, middle of the second round. Uh, I don't know. I, I just um, I thought it was a decent pick. I still would have taken the running back, but they know a little more than I do. I think they they do they study it a little more. <laughs> Yeah, realistically, I mean, you should. we should be grading drafts about three years later and going back and looking at the picks and seeing how they had it. But there's no fun in that. Everybody wants to know what their team did and how their team did, so the grades make sense. Uh, there was another 53 picks before the Steelers got to go again. Third round, 102nd pick overall. They go with Alex Highsmith, edge rusher um, out of Charlotte. Obviously, edge rusher is something that – the Steelers have uh, the outside linebacker position. They have guys that can get to the quarterback. Ed, what did you think of this pick? Well, they had to get they had to get somebody both an inside linebacker and outside linebacker yep. because they have no depth, and they do have some two good front guys at outside linebacker. But again, nobody behind them. They, you know that Chicolo left as a free agent, and or they cut him one or the other. I can't even remember. Um, so. Uh, this guy sounds like he might fit the bill. He's a, again, he's a not only is he third round pick, Tim. He's really a fourth round pick because he's a third comp pick. You know, they went through all thirty two uh, in the old days before they had comp picks. This this would have been a fourth round pick. Um, nevertheless, sounds like he's okay. Never saw him play. Never saw Charlotte play a game of football in my life, and uh, so we'll see him first time maybe maybe at training camp. 
Ed brought up a great point there, Mark, and it is that they did not get an inside linebacker. And I, I had that in the rundown here down the bottom, but my, we might as well get to it now because it's it's one of the bigger topics here, right? Is the the thing the Steelers didn't do that most people felt like they needed to was was get somebody on the inside more so than Alex Highsmith on the outside. Yeah, you know what? I'm usually full of opinions, guys, but I don't understand where they're going at right now. I can't seem to figure out what their plan is right now. I, I can almost guarantee you they're not going into the season thinking Spillane or Gilbert's going to be their answer in the time of you know need or even being, uh, you know, if Bush gets hurt or if uh, they go with the straight 3-4 defense. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that those two, that the organization would put their, you know, so to speak, money in the basket with those two guys, which leads me to believe what, the, what are they going to do, what they have up their sleeve. I mean, the same thing when you play off of that, they don't really have a true nose tackle right now. Okay, they drafted a fast guy in the seventh round, but how many times have those guys stepped on the field week one? Tyson Alu-Alu can do that, but they would much rather have him a, you know, a guy that can – be a rotational end guy. So you're going to leave that up to Dan McCullers at nose tackle and Ulysses Gilbert, who's never played a snap in the NFL, to be part of your defense? I don't believe so. So I think there has to be some scheme going on right here or they would have addressed it. They had a chance to address it in the third round instead of Highsmith. They could have taken uh, Troy Dye out of Oregon, who was a fast sideline-to-sideline guy. They decided against it. So... You know, the, the the thing that stinks about this whole uh, delay or this offseason we're not a part of is now we can't go to practice next week and see. We can't see what's in there. We just have to assume until the training camp, till they get on the field, what their plan is. But I don't believe it has anything to do with, uh, you know, Dan McCullers and Robert Spillane. I think there's some kind of scheme change up their, up their sleeve, and I just don't know what it is. Maybe they'll bring back. Resign Mark Barron. To a, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? Typically, when they get rid of guys like that, yeah, they're I done know. with them. They're done I, with I, them. So I would normally facetious. agree, but you know, I, sometimes it wouldn't be a bad idea to come back at a He's lower still price. Out there. Yeah, but but something tells me that they weren't happy with the sixty-two catches he allowed last year. So I would imagine that's what was the case, along with a seven million dollars salary. If they're not happy with that, where do they get a look at Ulysses Grant? <laughs> He's been dead for a couple of years now, but Gilbert's not bad. <laughs> Mark, you went with another B minus here, which actually, in the grand scheme of your your rankings here, is is not a bad grade. You're you're tough. You're a tough grader. I feel like Ed would be a tough grader too, <laughs> if forced to do it. Ed, what do you think of a B minus there? Um, yeah, I think that's all right. Um, you know, again, I, we're talking about Highsmith. Um, I. You know, he's had one year, Is uh, and, and he came in as a walk-on. Uh, nothing wrong with that, a guy improving himself. I mean, we saw that on the major league level with Doc Hodges making a team as a basically a walk-on. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't know much about him, but they seem to like uh, how he um, how he developed last year, and maybe he, he's, he'll keep doing that and, and become a decent Linebacker. I, I remember another guy drafted in the fourth round who came from a small school in Georgia by the name of Greg Lloyd, and he did okay. 
All right, so B minus the grade for Alex Highsmith, the 102nd pick. On to the fourth round and the first of two Maryland picks. And our producer, Marissa Morris, <laughs> you can't hear her, but she's actually cheering in the background. Uh, proud Terp alum. Um, Maryland, they, I mean, we're expecting Marissa to get both these guys on the podcast, by the way. No pressure, Marissa. But yes, it, we're going to have a Terp, <laughs> uh, terp pod for sure. <laughs> so they went Anthony McFarlane in the fourth round. Then they went for another Terp in the sixth round, Antoine Brooks. Uh, uh, so let's start with McFarland. Uh, I'll go back to you, Mark, to start on this one. Uh, he's a running back. We mentioned the running back and the need, and Ed said that he thought they'd go with Dobbins early on. That would have obviously been a feature back. That's not what Anthony McFarland is, though, Mark. No, it doesn't. I mean, he, although he has tendencies or he has tape, you know, a handful of games, I believe, against Indiana, Ohio State, and, you know, somebody else of, of note, in, in his year last year, where he had the 25, 27 carries, 150, 200, 250 carries. So he was capable of doing that. But he's only has well, 18, 20 games under his belt at Maryland. So I don't think that's the case for what they want to do here with him to be that number one Dalvin Cook type of back shifty speed, take it to the house, you know, game changer. I, I really believe that. Matt Canada, their new quarterback coach, who was offensive coordinator at Pitt and LSU and head coach at Maryland, and I guess he was a coordinator there too, uh, I think he has his fingerprints all over this of being able to be a piece where they can introduce some of the stuff he liked to do, especially at Pitt with some of the jet motion sweeps type of things. Because, you know, it seems like every team has one of those guys now, one of those different change of pace not typically just in the backfield, but you can bring him in there. I mean, and the total opposite, like a guy like Debo Samuel from uh, the 49ers, he was bigger and stronger, but he brought a different uh, change of pace. And even Nicole Hardman from uh, Kansas City and Tyreek Hill, I'm not saying he's close to those guys, but that type of thing where they can use him. If they use him like that, I would be – Absolutely sure, give him a better grade than a C and a C C minus. But right now he's a running back who's going to make the squad, who doesn't have much on tape, who might or may or may not have some off the field personality issues. I mean, that's why I probably gave him a C. It's just very unsure. Doesn't have that body of work right now. Seems like an odd pick for the Steelers too. When you talk about the personality traits off the off the field, uh, I think the quote was "can be like a child." Um, it, it's weird, um, and it, but maybe it is a situation, Ed, where they're going to get away from the featured one back and go with more of a committee. And it, it seems like they were forced into that last year, obviously because of injuries and maybe they're heading the way most of the league is. And that is using multiple backs with different uh, types and, and different skill sets. And this is one of those skill sets. You know, they've tried this in the past when Todd Haley was here with those kind of change up backs, uh, Chris Rainey. And what was the other kid's name? Mark Dree Archer. Yeah, Dree Archer, and it did. It did. They never worked. Uh, this kid's a little different. Uh, has better production. Um, I I see him as a as a piece, you know. And I still think Connor will be their main guy, uh, and they'll try and run him, um, uh, and maybe not do by the committee thing, even though I just mentioned it as much uh, as just rotating a lot of guys in, but. Bring in a, a kid like McFarlane. Bring in uh, maybe Benny Snell can spot Connor 
for a couple series, uh, bring in Jalen Samuels into the passing game a little more. Uh, they do have some variety there among their backs. They're, you know, Snell is more like Connor, but the other guys are all different. All right, on to their next fourth round pick, which, and this was a good one according to Mark. Mark, you gave this an A. Your 1A pick in this draft. He's a guard, Kevin Dotson out of Louisiana. So another small school guy for the Steelers, uh, but he's not a small guy. Six foot four, 310 pounds. He was an All American at Louisiana. Uh, his teammate went a lot earlier in this draft and back in the second round. Um, the Steelers get Dotson, and it seems like good value in the fourth round. Yeah, absolutely good value with him just because, you know, he he might have been overlooked a little bit because of the guy next to him, Robert Hunt, went in the second round down there. But if you look at his tape, uh, Dodson's tape, he's, you know, he's just as good. It's just the fact that I bet you in any other season he's taken earlier because it's a guy that wasn't invited to the combine. You know, so a lot of people didn't get their hands on him until, you know, they, they saw him at the East-West Shrine game and said, okay, that's not bad. Maybe we'll see him at the combine. Maybe we'll bring him in for a visit. All of a sudden, you can't do that. So, you know, the, he has a little question mark there, so he gets pushed back. But I, I like what it says about the Steelers right now because you would think that over the past couple of years, this offensive line has almost turned into almost a finesse type of offensive line where they pass block first. That's not what this guy does. I mean, he'll knock you over, step on you, laugh on you, laugh at you, and probably, you know, kick you on the way back to the huddle. And that's something they probably need in that offensive line room. And he has a year to develop as well. I, I don't see him coming in and beating Stefan Wisniewski, to be honest with you. I, because, first of all, he's not getting a helmet, not getting on the field until August, if you're lucky. And offensive line is a really hard position just to throw somebody in there and say start, especially a fourth-rounder coming from – what was he? What was he? The Big Sun Conference. I don't even know what the conference was in Louisiana, but that's tough for him right there. But the values there, and it's pretty hard to screw up a guy that's just going to push you out of the way. So knowing knowing all that and where they got him at at one thirty five, a guy that could be a ten year starter at a cheap price, man. Uh, unless he totally fooled everybody, I think he's a guy that can you know easily the best pick of this draft. You know, it's funny, Tim, how the Steelers find their offensive linemen. They either draft them in the first round like DeCastro and, and, and Pouncey or, or they're Alejandro Villanueva <laughs> and Ramon Foster. You know, they come out of nowhere. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt Filer, uh, you know, another free agent. Um, Zach Banner, you know, he was a fourth-round pick, but he came to the Steelers for nothing. Uh, now, this kid's a fourth-rounder, but they did it the old-fashioned way. I mean, old, old-fashioned way. They had no time on him. They had no workouts on him. He wasn't at the combine. They had no physical on him. All they did was look at his tape of playing football and decided he was a pretty good football player. Um, you know, he kind of I, I, I – I hate to make comparisons, especially with a great one like this, but Mike Webster was a fifth-round pick, and all he did was come in with technique – he was a technique guy. He he built himself into a strong man, um, maybe, you know, a little illegally. Well, it wasn't illegal at the time, uh, but he used a little substances to do so. But nevertheless, uh, uh, Webby was a self-made man, and just, you know, the, the testing results didn't make him a first-round pick, but there he was, you know, Hall of Famer. And I'm not putting this guy in the Hall of Fame, but... He does have the looks of a future starter to me. 
Is it fair to say you brought up a good point, Mark, and that was that he's not going to see the field till August. I would think for for really across the board through this draft, is it fair to say that our expectations, except for maybe the first and second rounders, our expectations for rookie seasons should maybe be lowered just because these guys aren't going to get on the field? Yeah, I mean, they on um, Monday they started their virtual classroom, but that's like one of our Zoom meetings. How much <laughs> you really – <laughs> glean out of that so i mean they usually use that as as study time then take it out and do the physical part of what they just learned obviously that's not going to be a part of it right now like i said there's which makes it interesting is the two positions as rookies are wide receiver and offensive line and you look at claypool unless you put him in a situation where you say you got three routes to run you got two routes to run or whatever and that's it, and limit what he can do, it's going to be hard for him early. I mean, you saw what Deontay Johnson did. He didn't really click until later in the season, so I think that hinders all these guys. I mean, you could put him in situations to succeed early, like Highsmith, put him on third down and 12 and say rush the passer. I mean, it's pretty hard to screw that up, right? So, um, and, and Brooks, I mean, Brooks at the sixth rounder is going to be tough for him too. I mean, he has to learn the entire defense. And people think he could slide down and, and be a hybrid linebacker? Yeah, maybe in two or three years, but probably not this year. So I think it complicates a lot of this draft. And I think that's why the Steelers went with, you know, seven, eight, nine XFL guys where they signed a week or two ago. At least those guys have some playing time under their belt and they'll be ready to, you know, potentially shine in training cramp and, and provide a role rather than some of these younger guys. All right, the sixth round, 198th pick overall. They go with Antoine Brooks, safety out of Maryland. He's a guy that that in college, at least, Eddie played in the box a little bit. He's aggressive, but he's a, on the smaller side a little bit. Uh, Mark's article points out that maybe his best spot is going to be special teams, but but what do you think as far as upside on Antoine Brooks? Well, he's 220 pounds, um, That's small for a linebacker, not so much right. for, a for a safety, and yeah. they said he was half linebacker, half safety, but... They're listing him as safety, and he can grow into that. Um, you know, there's not a lot of expectations, Tim, for a sixth-round pick anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, he he's a guy that uh, fills a, at least a, a depth um, position if he can make the team. Um, and he's, you know, he's a little, I don't know, I, a little Sean Davis-like it sounds like. And I know he's they're both from Maryland. And Sean was a second-round pick, but uh, you know the fact he could play inside and uh, and I mean, he's not a free safety though. They're not going to drop him back there. Mark C plus is the grade. What is that based on? Yeah, special teams. I mean, yeah, he'll be able. That's one thing you don't have to learn much in special teams. You just go out there and you want to do it. And he can play all four special teams positions immediately, so that makes him valuable right there. Um, as for his position, there's a, first of all, there's a reason why he went 198, right? I mean, if he was one of the top safeties, he obviously would have went a little bit earlier. So I think he's a little bit of a, a tweener. I mean, we're talking about sixth round here where, I mean, when was the last time a sixth rounder came in and really had an effect with the Steelers? I mean, Antonio Brown 10 years ago? I mean, we got the, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he after, after spending how many years on the practice Th- squad? Yeah, yeah, three years on 
on special teams, actually. Yeah, I mean, even you mentioned Villanueva, too. He spent time learning right. the position and on practice squad as well. It takes time for these guys. But in the interim, at least provides them more depth at just the regular strong safety position than they had. I mean, he had Jordan Dangerfield, and that's it. I mean, unless you wanted to move Mike Hilton or Cam Sutton out there, at least it gives them somebody who played the position you know, alongside like maybe Marcus Allen out there. So I like this one a little bit more because his immediate play ability to help on special teams and filling a better need than he's probably better than Marcus Allen right now. So I don't, I think if you keep him in the position where he was in college, I think he'd be better than, you know, say Cam Kelly last year. You know what Cam Kelly did. He looked great in training camp and he got abused by <laughs> Tom Brady. So it's an interesting pick, interesting pick that they – I mean, their safety position is pretty much locked up for the next three, four years, right? So there's not really much of a role unless you create a, a specialized role. And as we get getting back to, I don't think they have enough time to create a specialized role for him this year. Yeah, certainly not for this year. All right, final pick. And when you get to the seventh round, it's a thin line between being a late seventh round pick and being an undrafted free agent. Um, Carlos Davis is the pick, defensive tackle out of Nebraska. And the other thing about the seventh round, Mark, right, is that, hey, take a chance on guys and and maybe gamble on upside. What do you think about Davis? I know uh, he's fast. <laughs> you got a 315-pound guy. What do you run, a 4'7"? And watching some of his tape, he is—he's much more of a, a fast defensive end, defensive tackle. I don't want to compare him to Aaron Donald, but that type of guy who uses speed as a tackle, than being a, a you know a 340-pound nose tackle, he, he's just not that right now. And once again, you, you got a guy that has potential to grow at that position. So, well, why not? I mean, I think his twin brother was taking what around before that. But uh, once again, you you don't expect a lot out of these guys. Last year, I think they had who uh, who my Isaiah Bugs, I believe was a six round pick. He was able to contribute a little bit. Year before that, they picked uh, my goodness, I can't remember Josh somebody remember from Alabama. Oh, I can't remember Josh. <laughs> he was Carl Dunbar's guy, but everybody thought he was going to be good because he was big, fast, played under Dunbar in at Alabama. And he was end up being, you know, cut right away. So that kid was the second teamer at Alabama. Josh Frazier, that's it. Josh yeah. Frazier. Wasn't uh, he second up, teamer down there? Yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah, those are just flip of the coin. Take the best available athlete and see if we can mold him. If you look at the history of the Steelers, they always take that guy way back when to Nick Williams. I remember him. I remember Nick Williams. I don't even know where he's at now. If he's in the league, he was out of some tiny school. And after they drafted him in the seventh round, former DL. Defensive line coach John Mitchell came in and praised him like he was the second coming of Reggie White. <laughs> you remember that, Ed? Yeah. That was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to be surprised if this kid makes the team. I, 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 I've never seen him play, but I've read some reviews on him, and it doesn't sound like he's uh, he's very dynamic. He is fast. Um, you know, maybe he can chase guys down, but uh, I, I just, I don't know. They, they say he's not a very good pass rusher. He's not a very good run stopper. So I don't, I'm not real sure what he does. We will find out hopefully on time and sometime this summer and, and not delayed. But that's a run through the six picks for the Steelers in the 2020 draft. The overall grade mark that you gave 
was a B minus. Um, and Dane Brugler actually ranked the Steelers 23rd out of the 32 teams as, dra- as far as draft goes. We mentioned that a lot of that depends on when you're drafting, and it's pretty hard to, to be ranked a, yeah. in the first half, I would think, when you don't have a first-round pick. So 23rd with only six picks and picking 49th actually probably speaks pretty well in his mind of what the Steelers did. But what Mark led to the B-minus grade? See, there's two different grades I think you can grade this as. This particular six guys, which I don't know if I totally graded them on that, but you can't you can't forget about the Minka Fitzpatrick part of this whole thing. He's part of this because they gave up picks for him. You can't eliminate that they gave up a third-round pick in order to get Devin Bush. So I almost look at like at 2019 and 2020 as one big draft because there were so many intertwined pieces right there. When you look at it like that, it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty significant draft when you add the reason why this draft doesn't look as good on paper is because you use capital there to get Devin Bush. You use capital to get Mark Minka Fitzpatrick. So Just in black and white, six guys, it's going to be hard to have anything uh, higher than a B, B minus. I think I was actually pretty forgiving on that grade, to be honest with you, knowing that these six picks and what they can contribute right away. But if you group the whole shebang here in two two years, I mean, there's probably nobody that has a better draft over the past two years than the Steelers. You know what's uh, interesting uh, well, it's it's interesting to think about because it, we can't, uh, we'll never know. If they hadn't made the, the Minka trade, if they hadn't moved up to get Bush, their record would not have been 8-8. Eight and eight. I think we can agree on that. It might have been as low as 4-12. and 12. Um, What they could have done at 4-12 and 12 with their first pick and that third pick uh, would have been a high pick. So, sounds like a story idea to me, Ed. Yeah, but then where do you go from there? <laughs> what hey, I just said. There's one paragraph. <laughs> we're we're in the middle of a, a shutdown here. Everything's a story. <laughs> well, the schedule will be coming out in May, Mark. We can tear that apart. We can maybe write about that for a couple of weeks. We could do a pre-draft podcast about the schedule and the post-cast podcast about the schedule. <laughs> 2020 mock draft. In my previous life, I did a podcast way back when for the trip. I had nothing to write about or talk about, so I I did my my uh, pre my podcast before the schedule of predicting what the schedule might be. That's how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we'll be with... talking about next week on the Immaculate Podcast. No, all right, guys, oh, this we... was fun. Good. Um, anything? Sorry about that, Mark. I, I was going to say we we know who they're going to play. Um, let's just hope one thing, and I, I'm sure Ed's with me on this one. Let's cancel that Hall of Fame game. Let's do that right now. Well, you just said something that I'm not so sure about, Mark. I've been a pessimist on this whole thing. I'm not sure they're going to play. I, I really am not sure. I'm not saying they won't. I'm just not sure they're going to play. I would I think, think the will. Hall of Fame game is very much in doubt. And Yay. having fans in the stands for the first couple of weeks also very much in doubt. Well, yeah. and, and so is training camp at St. Vincent because um, with fans, no, at St. Vincent, I can't imagine they're going to let all those football players in those dorms uh, at that college. I just, I, I don't see it. Oh, the college may not allow it. That's true. That's right. a good point because you're going to want to get, you're going to be worrying about having the kids come back or not having the kids come back and and having right. other people. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Um, see, plenty of stuff for you guys to write about. <laughs> 
All right, this has been a lot of fun. Um, for more on the draft, you can check out Prospects to Pros and other great podcasts here on the Athletic Podcast Network. That's Dane Brugler and Chris Burke. They'll be doing a full recap. They actually did a recap of round one on Friday, rounds two and three on Saturday, and then today they have a full recap of the entire draft. So check that out as well. Save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash Podcast. We'll be back with you sometime not too long into the future. But until then, thanks for tuning in to the Immaculate Podcast.